This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Welcome. This is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I'm excited about today's show. And I'm really excited because we officially launched the revamped engineeringcareercoach.com website. And I've officially partnered up with Christian Knutson, which we've been talking about on the podcast here for a while. Chris is not here with me today on this podcast episode, but he will be a periodic co-host and he will be on the show from time to time. And who knows, maybe even take the show on himself every now and then to change it up a bit. And what I really like about joining up with Chris is that he's had a lot of leadership experience in engineering. He's been in the military for 20 plus years as an engineering leader. And his website previously was engineerleader.com, where he blogged quite a bit about engineering leadership. And all those articles are now on the engineeringcareercoach.com site. And he's going to bring that perspective to everything we do together. And I think it's going to add a whole other dimension. It's going to be much more robust and helpful for our listeners and our readers. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm super excited about today's show. It is the first guest ever that has done a TED Talk coming on the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Her name is Melissa Marshall, and the title of her TED Talk is Talk Nerdy to Me. So with that being said, let's jump right into the content for today's show. Let's get right into the interview with Melissa. And before we do so, I want to give you one quote that kind of lines up with our topic for today. No one can remember more than three points. Philip Crosby. And again, no one can remember more than three points. You'll see how this quote is applicable in the interview coming up. And then at the end of the show, in the Take Action Today segment of the show, Melissa actually gives us two awesome actionable pieces of advice. So hang out for the whole show. It's going to be a very powerful episode. Now it's time for the main segment of our show. For today's main segment, I'm going to be interviewing my guest, Melissa Marshall, who I'm very excited to interview. Melissa is on a mission to transform how engineers and scientists present their work, which is one of the reasons that I was really drawn to her because I have similar aspirations. Melissa believes that even the best engineering designs and scientific research is destined to remain undiscovered unless it's presented in a clear and compelling way that sparks innovation and drives adoption. And we're going to get into that with her, how you can really ramp up kind of your presentations to make them be more compelling. Melissa spent the last decade traveling around the world to work with Fortune 100 corporations, institutions, and universities, teaching these strategies that we're going to dive in today on on speaking effectively. Melissa is a dynamic speaker. In fact, she's got a TED Talk entitled Talk Nerdy to Me, which is all about helping engineers and scientists communicate better. She's talked for Harvard Medical School, New York Academy of Sciences, the Centers for Disease Control, and many other great organizations. And I'm really honored to have her on. Melissa, I want to welcome you and let you know that you're actually the first person in the Engineering Career Coach Podcast that has a TED Talk. So we're excited about that. And I'm just excited to have a conversation with you. Great. Thanks so much, Anthony. I really have been looking forward to our conversation and I'm excited to hopefully empower your audience uh, today with some, some really great actionable ideas that they can start using right away. 
For those of you listening, the summary of our talk today will be located at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash Melissa. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A. You can go there. You can look at a summary and anything that we talk about, any references, books, resources, we'll link to them on the show notes as well. So Melissa, let's jump right into this. And why don't you tell us how you got into the world of helping engineers and scientists communicate more effectively? Sure, absolutely. So I've spent uh, 10 years as a faculty member at Penn State University, and I've actually just recently um, wrapped up my, my time there because I'm going full-time into um, coaching and, and training professional scientists and engineers. But during my 10 years at Penn State, I started off my career as uh, a specialist and an expert in communication and specifically in presentations. And I spent a little bit of you know, my academic training and my early part of my career was spent helping people become better presenters. And then early on, I got an interesting invitation by the College of Engineering at Penn State, and they said, hey, we'd love to try having a presentation skills class that is geared towards our engineering students because the feedback that we're getting is that our engineering students are terrific technically. They've really got the goods when it comes to the technical know-how, but some of the feedback that we're getting from industry employers is that you know our engineering students could present a little bit more effectively. And so I was the person uh, that they asked from the communication side of campus to come on over to engineering and see if I could, um, you know, help them with this challenge and and really help build the skill set of those engineering students. And it turned out that, you know, everything is, uh, I think, serendipitous in some ways. And uh, it turned out that this was exactly what I was meant to do. And I realized that literally day one in my first class, I walked into that room with a, a room full of about 30 engineering students. And I was completely intimidated, first of all, but also completely fascinated because as I just started to hear about some of the amazing things that they were that they were working on, I couldn't believe it. To me, it seemed like this treasure trove of information and just exciting projects that were happening in an area of campus that to be perfectly honest, prior to that time, I didn't really know a whole lot about. And so I, I always say it was a love at first sight for me wow. with engineering. So I was so fortunate that I was able to stumble into that so early in my, in my teaching career. And as a result, I dove uh, headfirst into really figuring out how I could take the information that I knew and understood from my years of study in communication and how I could translate that over to make sure that engineers and scientists are able to use those practical pieces of information to make sure that others can understand and appreciate their work. So I essentially really took on, with a whole lot of passion, this idea of trying to help engineers and scientists translate their work to people who are in a position to move that work forward. I know from being kind of in similar shoes that when you get that feeling, like you said, you had that feeling on day one that this is what you were kind of meant to do. It's a pretty awesome feeling. So it must have been exciting to get it so quickly. Absolutely. It was absolutely terrific. I can't imagine doing anything else. And it's really great to hear that Penn State approached you about a class like that. Because for me, I've been trying to convince colleges and universities across the United States for about five plus years now that engineers need these kind of skills. We need classes like that. And it's great to hear that a major very well-respected university actually took the initiative and reached out to you and got this class in place. I'm sure the engineers are doing much better for it after they graduate. So that's great. 
I'm so proud of my time at Penn State, and I have nothing but just the greatest admiration for really how the leadership in the College of Engineering has tackled this issue head on. I mean, that was uh, a little over eight years ago now that that class has been up and running and, and going. And now we have a whole team of instructors. What started with just me, uh, you know, kind of getting in there and, and trying a pilot, we have a whole team of instructors and we now serve a huge number of students that are taking this presentation skills for engineers class. And you're exactly right. I think that Penn State is really uh, leading the way in terms of trying to actually provide meaningful credit in terms of their curriculum uh, that they're taking these courses and then they're just really kind of, I mean, I think really establishing a, a program that's enabling our engineering students to be successful engineering professionals. So you're at Penn State, you start these courses. Tell me how you ended up doing this TED Talk, talk nerdy to me. You know, as part of my role at Penn State, I spent some time as the faculty advisor for TEDxPSU. And for those of you that aren't familiar, TEDx events are independent TED events. And so those are ones that any community, such as a university, for example, can apply for a free license to host their own TED-themed event. And so because of some of the paperwork in, involved and in having an event of the size that we wanted to have it, what TED asks is that the person who is, you know, advising, if you will, that they attend one of the regular TED events to get a sense of how an event should be run and that sort of thing. And so I was already scheduled to attend TED Global uh, in June of 2012. And uh, that conference uh, was one of TED's main, uh, main conferences. It took place in Edinburgh, Scotland that year. And so I was all signed up to do that again in, in the course of my role as uh, the advisor for TEDxPSU. And uh, about six or eight weeks before the conference, this email went out and said essentially that they have, uh, for lack of a better word, I always call them a wild, you know, sort of these wild card spots where they have some opening slots in the, in the conference uh, where conference attendees can pitch a talk idea to give for one of those spots. Wow. So I'm somebody who is usually willing to give something a try. <laughs> <laughs> And so I thought, well, you know, I'm already going to be there. I might as well write in my idea because I, everybody knows um, that comes into contact with me knows how much I care about this idea, this message, how much I really believe in the importance of communicating effectively about, about technical ideas. And so I wrote in you know, a little, little proposal and then I went through the, you know, I got kind of the follow-up where I got a chance to essentially pitch via a teleconference to a group and Long story uh, you know, short, essentially, I was one of the people that was, um, whose idea was selected to, to uh, happen at the, at the conference. So I got to craft and give what became a talk that was something I still believe really strongly about. It was an absolutely tremendous experience. It was really terrific to work with the, the people at TED who I thought were just uh, outstanding in terms of their ability to really helped me as a speaker to make sure that uh, I crafted my message in, in a way that would help it to resonate in, in the way that I wanted it to. We're going to dive into some tips for engineers that you can use on your presentations, but the reason I'm bringing this up and kind of taking a little time with this whole idea of this TED Talk is because I often talk to engineers about the opportunities that exist in speaking and the ability to get in front of a room, to get in front of an audience. It certainly develops or elevates your expertise and your credibility, especially in such a technical world. And Melissa, I believe that your TED Talk is probably has close, I think, to a million and a half views. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't looked at it for a little while. Um, last time I looked, it was around 1.2, and that was a few months ago. Yeah, I looked at it recently, and it's it was close to 1.5 million. Wow. 
So my point is for, for the listeners is that, first of all, you never know when the opportunities are going to come to you because Melissa certainly didn't know that that was coming, you know, six to eight weeks before. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Secondly, when you get up in front of people, the bottom line, at least from my experience, and I'm sure Melissa, the same, is that opportunities come to you, period. So don't be shy. And we're going to jump into now. And Melissa is going to talk a little bit about some strategies that you could do to make your presentation more compelling, more engaging to people. Because often as engineers, we do present to people that aren't necessarily technically savvy. And it's important that we get our information across. So Melissa, why don't we jump into that a bit and you can kind of give some pointers out here to the listeners. I want to also just echo what you said about taking advantage of those opportunities and looking for ways to put, you know, kind of put yourself out there. Because actually one of my first pieces of advice uh, in terms of how to improve your, your presentation skills is to actually present. I think that this is something that you have to, to do a little bit of um, you know, trial by fire and you have to really kind of, you have to learn what works and, and what doesn't. And I think that one of the best ways you can do that is be the person on your team who volunteers to present the, you know, the project at the next status meeting. I mean, be the person who's continually putting themselves out there because you will learn so much about what works, what doesn't, and it gives you a chance to try some new things and see what you know causes your audiences to change? How can you start to see some of those differences? I think engineers, as, as you know, as technical professionals, are great at at experiments. And I always say, I think you know, don't be afraid to try some experiments. Try some things that are different. Don't be afraid to to step out there a little bit. So looking for those speaking opportunities, I think, is is huge. You know, once you maybe do get you know your next speaking opportunity, uh, a couple of things that I might there's a lot that I could say, but a few things that I might emphasize. Uh, I think that the first and one of the biggest challenges for any sort of a, a technical talk, but when you're thinking about the project that you're trying to present, I think that filtering the details of the project is a really big challenge because you're the specialist in terms of the you know the area that you're presenting on. And so how do you look at all of this information that you have to present? And, and maybe somebody wants you to talk for 10 minutes, right, on a project that you've been working months on, for example. How do you decide in, the, in that short period of time that you have, which are the details to emphasize and which are the things to keep out? And so I think that's one of the first pieces that engineers would benefit from mastering is how do you decide which details to keep in and which to keep out? And so one strategy that I often uh, suggest for that is that I say kind of start at the end, meaning think about where it is that you want to end up. And I would actually challenge you to write that out as one sentence. This is the place that I want my audience to walk out of the room with this idea or this knowledge or this understanding. And I understand that that's really hard and it's hard on purpose. All right. I understand that you have to, to really boil everything down to one sentence at the end. That's really difficult. But if you can do that and if you can decide that, hey, if they walk out with nothing else, they're going to walk out with this. Now, what you can do is you can ask yourself the question, what do I need to cover in order for that to be true or in order for them to believe that or in order for them to take that action? What would I need to cover in order for that to be the case? And what happens when you go through that exercise is that you will find that typically you will rise to the top two or three 
most important ideas, the biggest and most important details. There certainly could be other things that you might talk about, but what I'm trying to get at here is that you have to identify the most important details and you have to put the time into those. What that does is it helps to clarify those details and tells you which are the other ones that while interesting or maybe also important, they're still secondary in terms of their importance. So my first tip in terms of um, you know, clarifying detail and filtering detail is to think about where you want to end up at the end, force yourself to articulate that in a single sentence, and then go through the exercise of what would my audience need to know, understand, or believe is true in order to arrive there. It's funny because that's a similar approach that I took to my engineering career was basically where I want to end up. I want to be a project manager, a partner in an engineering firm. And then I would kind of look at what's kind of the, not, I don't want to say the minimal <laughs> the minimal steps I need to take, but I mean, I didn't want to do a lot of extra stuff. So I tried to find a mentor. I tried to do things to make it an efficient process. So it's very similar and it's really a brilliant uh, suggestion to start with the end in mind. Most times people start at the beginning and start laying out their PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> <laughs> PowerPoint, that's next. Uh-oh. Oh, So you're exactly right, Anthony. I mean, I love what you said there. That's exactly how most people start is when you think about it, that's going to kind of go into the other big thing that I wanted to make sure I got to your listeners today Okay, is talking about PowerPoint because you're exactly right. Most people, here's the process they go through is that somebody says, hey, I need you to give a talk or, you know, they know they have to give a talk and they say, all right. And so they sit down and they open up PowerPoint. And so then they start to plan. Right? And the way that people plan on PowerPoint is that they type topics on their slides. And so what happens very quickly when you go with that strategy is that you end up with so much information because essentially you're doing it almost stream of consciousness. Whereas, you know, maybe I want to talk about on this particular slide, maybe the topic is going to be order of analysis, for example. And so what you do is you start to think about all of the things around order of analysis that you want to cover. You know, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. And you keep going and you keep filling up that slide with all of those different details. And the problem is, is that you didn't filter the slide. And it goes back to exactly what I said is asking yourself, what is the one thing that I want my audience to take away? And so as I circle this back around, so I think that this is a strategy that works on the meta level for the whole presentation, but this is also a strategy that I really want to advocate for within the talk itself. If your audience was to leave this podcast with just one thing that they might think even a little bit differently about, my big challenge, and this is to to your audience, this is to scientists and engineers everywhere, is that I think we have to completely rethink the status quo of PowerPoint. And what I mean by status quo is I I mean the common practice of what people typically do. And what people typically do is they have a phrase title and they support that phrase title with a bulleted list. And what this leads to are slides that are tremendously wordy and uh, slides that actually do not have, uh, you know, a whole lot of visual information on them. And the reason that this is such a problem is that if you look at a lot of the research regarding how people learn, how people process information. I mean, there's a whole very robust field of cognitive science. And if there's one thing that comes up again and again and is supported over and over, it is that people have a limited uh, capacity to take in information when it's presented both being spoken and being read. So when you overload the words-based part of the brain, which is exactly what happens when you have somebody giving a talk while having a slide that also is full of words, you are now at an extremely high risk 
and really entirely likely, more likely than not, possibility that your audience will experience cognitive overload. And essentially what that means is that instead of um, information getting through efficiently, now very little information gets through. And so that becomes really problematic when you think about the typical presentation situation. And so the other big piece that, that I think people need to know from the cognitive psychology research in terms of how people learn is that images are processed separately in the brain and they're processed in a much more deep manner. They're much more memorable to an audience. And so when you take those two pieces of information together and you look at what people are typically doing with PowerPoint, there's a pretty big disconnect in terms of those. And so what I think that people need to be doing is they need to be thinking about how do you design your slides with your audience in mind? Meaning, how is it that my audience's brain is working and how are they going to interact with this slide? And what choices can I make as a presenter that will make sure that this slide is working with me instead of against me? And so uh, a couple of ways to do that. First of all, I I advocate for something that's called the assertion evidence slide design. And uh, that's something we can provide a link to on the, the page for this podcast. Great. This is a slide design that is pioneered and primarily researched by uh, Associate Professor of Engineering Communication at Penn State, Michael Alley. And it's one that, that I've become familiar with during my time uh, working at Penn State. And it still is the one now that I'm um, you know, training and coaching full time. Right now, as far as, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think that this is the best strategy that is the most practical way that you as an engineer can right away revamp your slides. And to give you just kind of a real quick summary of what the strategy is, is that essentially each slide, this strategy advocates that you have a concise full sentence, and that's the assertion. And you can just think of this concise full sentence being at the top of the slide, and you can think of it as, this is what I want my audience to know as a result of this slide. And then the body of the slide, instead of having a bulleted list, which is what most people do, Get rid of that bulleted list. Those are things that you can say because you're going to be actually giving the presentation and use the body of the slide for primarily visual information. For engineers, this is so terrific because you work in that type of environment. I mean, you have charts, graphs, tables, diagrams, schematics, equations, computer code. All of those things are visual in nature and are supremely better than having a bulleted list on the body of your slide. Because essentially what happens now is that when you choose to have a primarily visual slide, and again, when I say visual, I want to be really clear because it's so important for a technical audience. I'm not just saying a picture. A picture is one type of visual, but you can absolutely have meaty and very complex visuals that can still work really well. But essentially what you're trying to do is that you're balancing out the flow of information during a talk. And so now you're giving the talk and you as the presenter talking through that information and your slide is doing something for you that your words cannot. And I think that that's really the biggest trick. Right now we have slides that are doing exactly the same thing as what our talk is doing. They're just repeating what's there and that's not doing a lot for our audience. But I think thinking differently about your slides is a really great place to start and to stand out right away. What did you say the name of the that scheme was? Or Yeah, so it's called the Assertion Evidence Slide Design. That's how you might come across it. Okay. That's what it's called on that, uh, on that website. That's the name for it. And a lot of the studies that have been done are, are calling it that. 
But essentially, all that it is, it's called the assertion evidence, but really you can just think of it as sentence visual. We'll get a link into the show notes so you can get some information on that. And I know I have a lot of work to do now in my presentation that I prepared for two weeks from now. I have to revamp the whole thing. I I hear that a lot because I I travel around the, the world helping scientists and engineers to to present more effectively. And one of the biggest things is that the great news is that I think there are practical things you can do right away. The challenge is is that it definitely goes against the the status quo. And so you might need to do some things differently from what you typically are doing. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think there's only so much information you could take in one kind of medium, like you said, the writing and hearing the words. And it just makes a lot of sense to change it up for people. Something that I that I want to mention too, because this is usually something that comes up really often, and I'll bet a lot of your listeners, maybe even right now, have this question. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, just like you said. I mean, it makes sense to balance out the medium, you know, because you're talking, and so you've got that words part of the brain for your audience essentially covered, and so you add this visual instead to the slide so that you're doing something a little bit, um, you know, accessing a different part of their brain. But then one of the biggest practical challenges that people might be identifying already is that they say, you know, well, I have to put all of that information in the form of that bulleted list onto the slide because the slide has to serve as the document for the work. So maybe somebody that couldn't attend the talk, you oftentimes in most companies, they do things like send around the slide deck right. as a way to, to really you know, document the, the work. And so I just want to address that piece because I think if you use one simple strategy, that helps us a lot. And so here's what I would say is I think that asking PowerPoint to be the handout or the document for the work is really asking that medium to do too much. Because essentially what happens is that now becomes the primary function because people are putting information on there with the idea being that this has to serve as the document after the talk. And the problem with that is that then I think what's happening is that we're sacrificing the opportunity of the live presentation situation because we have something that we're putting on the screen that really we're trying to also make serve as the document after the talk. And now we've sacrificed the tremendous opportunity that is a a live audience. And so what I think people can do today, I mean, right away, is that if you utilize the notes pages of PowerPoint a bit more effectively, and essentially what I mean by that is that take what you might have typically put as the bullet points or the things that you plan to say when the slide is showing, put those in the notes pages. And the notes pages, as as people are probably aware, are just right below where you design the slide. So put those in the notes pages. And then when you need to provide, if somebody wants the, the slide deck or you need to provide the, you know, the, the document, if you will, provide to people a PDF printed copy of the notes pages. So it's a really easy thing to do in PowerPoint. Just go to print, go to PDF, and then it's an option where you can, it's called notes pages. And so when you do that, I mean, such a simple thing that anybody could do right away. But now what happens is what people would get. So what a PDF of the notes pages looks like is it has the slide that was presented during the live talk. And then it has whatever details you chose to include and that you typed in that notes pages while you were working on the slide itself. And so now you have the best of all worlds because you have a slide that was designed and optimized for the live talk. And you have those details, what it was that you said when the slide was showing. And it's even better because actually you can include references, links to other things. And so now you have this really nice follow-on document that you can provide to your audience and you haven't sacrificed with either of the mediums in terms of the document versus the slide. And really, you haven't had to do a whole lot of extra work because now instead of writing all that information on the slide, just write it in the notes pages and provide that to people after your talk. That's great. 
Because I could definitely see that being a concern for any technical professionals that, you know, they want to have that to hand out. And I think one of the things too that I was thinking that another reason that people would shy away from this is because a lot of people, what you shouldn't do, use the bullets as basically a crutch to get them through the entire presentation. And listen, I think it's better than reading something word for word. But still, I think if you want to be an expert in that topic, you need to know the talk and be able to look at one sentence with a visual and be able to talk about it. And you could always have a note card in your hand with some bullet points if you want to. But I think the more you rely on the slides for actually what you're going to say, it can be a little bit uh, tricky and a little bit risky. I mean, I had I gave a talk once at a major university and the projector wasn't working. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I had done the talk like three other times that week, so I pretty much was in pretty good shape, and I gave the handouts out, and I kind of was able to go through it, but you never know what's going to happen, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So I completely agree, first of all, in terms of, I think that we need to spend a little more time practicing our talks, being comfortable with the information, that we can really own that material, and we don't need to read from the slide in order to do that. If your hurdle is that the reason you can't switch to a more visual slide design is because you really are worried about losing those, you know, those speaker notes, if you will. Um, something that I also think another you know, practical tip that I think more people should look into is using presenter view on your laptop. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, if people just Google, I mean, presenter view, this is a, an option that is on pretty much every laptop. It, it actually is defaults very nicely on Macs, but even if you don't run a Mac, I run a PC laptop and I can get to presenter view pretty easily. And all that presenter view is, is essentially what you have on your laptop is a little bit of a different view than what your audience has on the projector screen. So your audience gets, of course, just the, the full slide. But if you have done the settings correctly for presenter view on your computer, and again, just Google how to do settings for presenter view, and this is something you'll be able to figure out. But if you have presenter view set up, essentially what that means is that on your laptop screen, you'll see your current slide that's being shown in full screen to the audience, but you'll also see the notes pages for that slide, which can give you those reminders, and you see the slide that's coming up next. And so at least if you need to take a glance at your laptop screen, you can see you know, the reminders, those notes pages, if you will, of what it is that you're supposed to cover next. And that keeps you on track if you're, again, if you're worried about needing those, those speaking notes. And the big thing that I'm advocating for is that I just don't want to subject our audience to that. I really want people to approach a talk with a more audience-centered viewpoint, meaning that you're making choices for your talk because they make sense for the audience. And so that's the kind of choice that you can make that it's okay if you as the speaker need a couple of reminders, but let's not subject our audience uh, to those reminders and, and, and run that risk of that cognitive overload that I talked about earlier with too many words. Well, that's a great point. And I think for most engineers, when you do these technical presentations, you're typically at a podium. So that typically works out pretty well. I mean, for me, I do a lot of walking around, but I think having that presenter view is, is awesome. I mean, a lot of times when you plug your laptop into the projector, sometimes something like that comes up, which is mm -hmm. helpful, but I didn't know that there's actually a, a presenter view. So that's helpful. And that's something I'll definitely check out. And again, don't forget, we're going to list all these tips that we got in the, in the show notes at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash Melissa, so that you can find them easily and you can access this information. We can wrap up this segment and then get into the take action today segment where we really want to give the listeners one actionable piece of advice. Do you have anything else you want to say before we jump into that final version as far as any other general tips or strategies? The only other um, tip that I wanted to share was that sometimes people will say, 
I'm thinking about this concept that I want to have, and I understand you're advocating for a more visual slide design. And then they'll say, well, there's just for this one part of the talk, there's just no visual for it. Just absolutely is not no, no visual for that, that part of the talk. And the last piece of advice I want to share is just that that is not a crisis. I think that one of the most forgotten art forms, if you will, in today's talks is that it's perfectly okay to not have a slide showing at every second of every talk. And I recognize that that may sound really kind of out there because we've really, we've gotten into this place where we feel like there must be a slide showing at all points in time. But I just want to empower people. If your slide is not adding anything to your talk at that moment, that one of the best things that you can do is blank the screen. Because it actually brings a great amount of focus to you. Um, the audience then is entirely focusing right on you. And it actually surprises people. If you want to really get a lot of attention to a particular idea or concept, blank the slide totally changes the entire environment of the room. So I think it's a, it's a forgotten trick uh, that actually works really effectively. And, and it's not one that a lot of people use. So you can really stand out in a good way and really bring focus uh, or change the environment in the room just by blanking the slide once in a while. I believe that a lot of the clickers have a black button on there, right? So you they hit sure it and then the screen goes black? Okay. Yeah, a lot of the clickers do. And even if you don't even have a clicker, I think everybody should have one because they're not expensive. Just keep it in your briefcase. I think everybody should travel with a clicker. But of course, I'm a presentation nerd, so I would say that. <laughs> but, you know, hey, I, think, I still think everybody should, should have one. But even if you don't have one, if you actually, if you're in slideshow view and you just hit B for blank on a keypad, it'll automatically blank the screen. So you can do that just from a keypad on any computer anywhere. As long as it's in slideshow, just hit B for blank and it'll go to a blank screen. Okay, so let me just recap the five points that Melissa ran through here for improving your presentations. The first one is to start with the end in mind. Think about the goal of your talk and what you want the audience to walk away with and then craft your presentation around that. The second point was to filter your PowerPoint slides. Have a a strong sentence at the top and some kind of a visual beneath it. Not necessarily a photo, can be a photo, could be probably a design drawing or something else that is applicable to the topic you're presenting. The third point was you can use the notes section of PowerPoint and put your bullet points there instead of on the slides so that you're still able to see it. And you're also able to provide it to people afterwards as a handout and PDF it. So you don't have to worry about that being an excuse that I need to give out all the information from the talk. The fourth point was to use the presenter view on your laptop so that you can see the notes at all times and your audience does not see them and won't get distracted by them. And then the fifth and final point was don't be afraid to blank the screen at times. You do not have to have a visual or a slide every single second of every presentation. By blanking the screen, people are really going to focus on you. So That's a recap of the five main strategies that Melissa has given us. You have to check out her TED Talk, Talk Nerdy to Me. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's got a lot of awesome points in it, and she actually gives some examples because you can see her slides in the presentation. So Melissa's going to stay with us for this next segment, and we'll come back in a minute with the Take Action Today segment of the show. Now it's time for the Take Action Today segment of the show. So you've heard a lot from Melissa, which has been great so far with regards to improving your presentations. What we try to do in this segment of the show is to give you a piece of actionable advice that you can implement and see some immediate results. And Melissa is actually going to give us two pieces of advice today, one to help you with your content and the second to help you with your slides. Go ahead, Melissa. 
So in terms of the content piece, what it is that you're actually saying, um, my big piece of advice is to make your content more concrete for your audience. And what I mean by that is I'm specifically talking about the technical information that you're trying to share. And so ways that you can make technical or scientific content more concrete are using things like examples or analogies or stories. Uh, So those are ways to help information to stay with the audience. I mean, analogies are tremendously helpful for helping people to understand abstract ideas uh, in relation to something that they already understand. And another way to really improve your content is to make sure that you make your numbers meet meaningful. One of the biggest um, problems I think plagues a lot of technical presentations is that people give a really big number or a really small number for that matter. And they assume that that number means something to the audience. But I think that when anytime you're presenting numbers, especially those that are very big or very small, provide a sense of context for that number. Give a comparison, give something that's relative, because that makes that information much more concrete to the audience. So make your numbers meaningful and use things like examples, stories, and analogies to give your audience something else to hang on to uh, regarding your technical content. So that's the side on the content, you know, the content piece. I also wanted to, the re- reason I couldn't, I couldn't pick between uh, which two because I think they're equally important. The other piece I wanted to make sure I talked about, um, that if you did nothing else regarding slides, start your next presentation with a totally blank slide. And what I mean by that is that get rid of that default master template that PowerPoint constantly wants you to have. Because I think that that default template makes some bad choices for you right off the bat. And it doesn't mean that you can't delete elements from the default template. You can. The problem is that people typically don't. And so if you start with just a blank slide, what I think is so powerful about that is that I want you to be the person that is making the choices about what goes on that slide, not some template from a slide program making that choice for you, but you decide what should go on that slide on uh, at each point of the slide. So you're determining what goes on there. And I sure would advocate, if nothing else, uh, remove those bulleted lists. Don't ever choose those as an option because they're so difficult for your audience uh, uh, in terms of helping them understand. And when you're choosing what goes on that slide, choose primarily visual information so that the slide does something for you that your talk cannot. Because you're given a great talk, you've got the words part covered. So those were excellent two points from Melissa make your content more concrete, very important. Oftentimes as engineers, we have to present to people that are not technical and we're trying to get things approved or get concepts accepted. And that's an awesome way to do that is to relate more to the person that's your audience. Secondly, to start with that blank slide, which I really never thought about in PowerPoint, it does default you to a certain slide type. And if you just started with a blank slide, it might change the entire way your presentation looks. And honestly, thinking about that on a bigger picture, you could actually apply that to your career yep. <laughs> and your life as well. Because I mean, I know a lot of engineers that tell me, well, how long do I need to work before I can get my license or become a project manager or partner? And like, don't listen to someone that tells you you got to work for five years or 10 years to do anything. You can you know, really craft your career and advance as fast as you want to if you continue to develop yourself. So Melissa, thank you so much for coming on and you've given a ton of great information. I get so many questions from listeners on presentations and speaking and I think probably 90% of the questions I I, I get can be directed to this podcast for them to listen and get some information. So I really appreciate it and uh, definitely keep in touch and maybe we'll have you back on again after you've been doing some consulting. I'm sure you'll come up with a whole bunch of other things you can talk to us about. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the, the opportunity to be on here. I hope that these ideas are are helpful to you all that are that are out there uh, out there listening. And you can certainly uh, keep up with me and, and find some some more tips and, and tricks uh, at my website, presentyourscience.com. Thanks very much, Anthony. And that's the best place to get in touch with you, Melissa. Yeah, if anybody has any questions, anybody wants to get in touch with me, stay in touch for updates, presentyourscience.com. Presentyourscience.com. We'll link to presentyourscience.com in the show notes. We're going to link to her uh, Melissa's TED Talk in the show notes. You'll be able to definitely find plenty of information about her. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. A lot of great stuff for you to get into here, and I hope you take advantage of it. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I hope that you continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.